Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 238. A positive attitude will help with the horror to come. This week we're discussing series 10, episode 11 of Doctor Who, World Enough and Time, and the season 4 finale of Angel, Home. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. World Enough in Time. Um, if only we had enough. If only. I, if either, mm-hmm. of either or both, um, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, I know there's a lot to talk about story-wise, but you had a couple production notes, so let's start there. Yeah, um, well, and I'll, I'll try to go through it quickly, and maybe we can pull some of this stuff back into the normal discussion if there's place for it. Um, actually, the one production note I forgot to put in, I was reminded by with the title, which is, you know, the allusion um, to the to the poem, To His Coy Mistress, which is, you know, yeah. a quite um, applicable title, you know, little reference for this episode, I think. Um, so um, a few things I just want to point out. Um, this is the third straight season finale and all three season finales for the Capaldi era um, written by Stephen Moffat and directed by Rachel Talale. I think that's how you say your name, um, which is kind of cool. Like they have a little um, signature style going on here. So all of the, the two part finales of this era were done by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to kind of bring up the two big returning villains that are, you know, since we're just going to go straight sure. into all the spoilers, um, <laughs> which, you know, it's, it's not even kind of, I mean, we talked about how we're not going to be, again, coy about not mentioning who they all are. But that was, I mean, that's kind of even true when the episode aired, because both of them were announced ahead of time. Mm. Like, it was one of those things where it's like they know that the pictures are going to leak. So it's like, let's just like make a big announcement. So people didn't necessarily know when or how they were coming back. Um, and part of it is the pleasure of, you know, waiting for something that you kind of know is coming. Um, but um, it's kind of interesting to me when like the two big twist reveals were kind of spoiled by the production team like months earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, just want to give some production background to the Mondasian Cybermen um, because we've had plenty of Cybermen in New Who, but not Mondasians. Um, so they come, they were the very first Cybermen ever in 1966 from the 10th planet, which was, uh, the first Doctor's regeneration story, um, mm. which took place at the South Pole. So you already have a little link when the Doctor shows up in this snowy landscape and starts to regenerate. You know, you're kind of cast sure. back to uh, to the Tenth Planet, and that's interesting. Like I, I didn't know that, but that's interesting that they did that, that they chose that because that's where we yeah. were going to start our story yes. discussion as well. So yeah, what well, right? So the clues are. There's some subtle ones. I mean, there's some obvious ones, but then there are some, you know, if for people who haven't seen the classic series, there's some that are, you know, a bit obscure. Um, 
and you know other clues in there uh, about the kind of somewhat human people who are from this twin planet of Mondas. So this idea that they're almost human, but not quite. And if you know your lore, that kind of points towards um, Mondas, which was the 10th planet in the 10th planet. Um, and so Capaldi was asked back when he started in 2014, um, which monster he wanted to have return. And he said the Mondasian Cybermen. Um, and Moffat kind of scoffed at that and thought they were kind of silly and cheap and all the things that the wobbly Doctor Who that he was trying not to do. Um, but eventually he was talked around to see mm. their value. Um, and pretty much, I think they are regarded as maybe one of the, you know, maybe the best version of the Cybermen that they had a sort of they get at the body horror element that subsequent designs have strayed away from and got as they got more metallic and robotic. Um, you know, this is a return to the original concept of sort of, you know, looking sort of like burn victims and like mm. they've just undergone major surgery. And the fact that their faces are sort of covered in cloth rather than steel kind of, lends to that. So we can talk about if we agree that these are creepier than normal Cybermen. Sure. Um, but, um, but a lot of people seem to feel that way. And Moffat was eventually kind of persuaded that they could do it in a way that wouldn't look just completely cheap. Um, and so then the other one is uh, John Sims master um, making this the first multi-master story ever. Um which Moffat says he was thought about as soon as he introduced Missy, um, but had to kind of wait a while for Missy to sort of establish her own, you know, kind of take on the character before you could kind of bring one of the old ones back. Um, and apparently John Sim had said ever since the end of time to Moffat that he would happily sort of come back whenever. Um, so they had kind of had this, you know, waiting in the wings for a while. Um, sure. And, and then, if you're going to do it, you have to do it now, though, right? Like, well, exactly. And, and he <laughs> thought he might have left before now. So there was a potential that he would never have, you know, he never yeah. would have done it at all. But um, he stayed long enough that circumstances sort of, you know, he maybe he kind of thought, all right, I need a good and I need another good finale. We'll pull this out of, you know, the back pocket. Um, and I actually just watched a little interview with Moffat where this is so typical Russell Davies to me that when Moffat told him that they were bringing Johnson back, his, he got it really excited. And then his reaction was to get like immediately really like pervy with the whole thing. Like, Oh God, they're going to do it. Aren't they? Like, <laughs> like his, you know, so I feel like yeah. maybe things go in that direction because Russell Davies might've said something to Moffat about like clearly the master and Missy being in a room is going to lead to certain, you know, things. So right. his, his influence remains. Um, anyway. Yeah. So both of those were announced like several weeks or months, even before this episode aired. So it, it is very interesting to watch it knowing that most people were spoiled anyway. And even let's, I mean, we'll talk about razor, but, we can maybe we can talk about the fact I'm curious to know whether you recognize John Sim under all the makeup um 
when you first watched it or not. No, I and I don't. I mean, and you don't really don't follow think, the the spoilers quite as closely as right. I I definitely don't. I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to remember. You know, given that this was the first season where I was sort of watching live, because um, part of you know part of my not following the news and stuff was because it was always, um, you know, talking about future seasons. And so like, right. it's a little different, like to what, to, to listen to like news and stuff as things are coming out. But, um, right. Things that they're intentionally announcing as opposed to right. somebody spoiling like the plot or the twist for you or something. Um, but I honestly can't remember if I knew or not when this was airing. Um, so I'm going to go with no, that I didn't uh, remember that. Um, so, yeah. Or that I didn't recognize him. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that I didn't recognize him mm -hmm. under the makeup. Um, so even if I didn't know it, I wouldn't have necessarily have recognized him as that character. Mm -hmm. um, I do think, and we will definitely talk about it when we get to Razor. Um, I do think it's definitely interesting, you know, once you do know to go back and be like, oh, okay, so what are these things that he is saying here? And mm -hmm. maybe it makes a little more sense as to why he's fascinated, you know, watching him raise his eyebrow for a week. Or, mm -hmm. you know what or a month or whatever it is i don't remember how long they say but um yeah yeah so um be well so let's start though with that opening then of of the the arctic or antarctic or wherever it is um and the regeneration so if i didn't know or remember um that sims was coming back uh i definitely knew that like we were nearing the end of you know the um capaldi era of doctor who um the way they set this up obviously is you know there's the teaser um which i mean you don't know i guess when you're like first watching the very opening scene, but then like when you don't end with like them in an Arctic climate, you know, mm. and him about to regenerate, um, you know, you realize like, Oh, okay. So this must be like flashback or some kind of like side story to that main, you know, if, if the, you know, if him sort of stumbling out into the snow and falling down and starting to regenerate is happening, then that's probably happening, like, as with all of the regenerations, at the end of, like, the next episode. Or, oh, well, right. you know, the Christmas episode or whatever. Like, you know, right. like that this is a multi-part story. And so you're seeing, like, one end of the frame or one, mm -hmm. you know, part of the frame. And so the other end will, you know, we'll we'll get around to it after we've told the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I don't remember at this point. Did we know? We didn't know who the doctor, the new 
actor portraying the doctor would be right no Mm -mm. um so that would have been you know like most people probably would have guessed like something's gonna happen like we've had trick regeneration even just like a few episodes ago we we've had like <laughs> yeah. trick trick regenerations or like or if not trick like halted or stopped you know um midstream or whatever so um even thinking back to like you know uh tenant you know pouring the regeneration into his own hand and stuff like that like mm -hmm. you know so yeah. i I don't know that, like, I was, like, I didn't, obviously we don't see what is happening here, but I don't think, like, when I got to this scene that I was thinking, like, oh, we're definitely seeing, you know, the regeneration happen, like, now in this episode or anything. Right. Um, right. But, given the, what you just said about the Cybermen, which I didn't know, and, I, like, I didn't know on my rewatches either, I literally did not know any of the sort of illusions there. Um I do think it's interesting just thinking back to, you know, as we talk through the episode, some of the um, hints that we get as to what the um, monster is, because I don't think I knew that either. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, forget whether I recognize John Sims. Like, I don't think I knew. I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't know that the Cybermen would be mm -hmm. um, that and and i like mondasian or otherwise yeah. like i don't right. think i knew right. um so um that is interesting that it that it kind of has that stumbling out into the cold mm -hmm. and like um is that well okay cuz my, my my instinct there was to jump ahead but we've got some time um and plot and story to cover before we get there so we're old enough and um time to cover that yeah well at least podcast enough in time <laughs> um so yeah i don't i mean that's just the opening teaser it's uh, like when you get to the end and you're like wait a minute he still hasn't regenerated like we saw then you know you're kind of like oh okay well i guess there's more to this story right. um Right, we still don't. By the end of this episode, we have we're like, no closer. No, we're no closer to understanding that. Scene. There's no hint of I like. Right, there's no after after you know you know before the so you get the you get the the you know teaser in the beginning and then like after the title credits roll, um, like I got more snow this morning in my hometown <laughs> than I you know than you get in the rest of the episode. So. Right. Right, um, there's no, right, there's, we don't know, we don't have any context for, like, why and how is he back in the TARDIS, where is everybody else, well, you know, why he's in the snow, you know, in the South Pole or wherever, right. um, why is he regenerating, we don't know any, yeah, we get no hints about any of those things. Um, um, yeah, the only thing it does, I think, is other than a kind of atmospheric little prologue is to for the viewer who knows the illusion to kind of reference, start to reference the 10th planet. 
Um, sure. For for a few different reasons, you know. So you know, we'll talk about the Cybermen, and then we'll get to more stuff later. So. Um, okay. Um. So yeah. So the actual. So like the main plot of this episode, then, or rather the main setting and situation, I should say, of this episode, um, is this uh, super long ship, 400 miles, um, he says at one point, uh, that is like, you know, sort of being slowly drawn into a black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I your, think it, your favorite science. I, I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I, I peeked at your notes. But here's the thing. I'm actually, I like, I, I actually like how they did this yeah. because it's not the, you're not like seeing it. Right. It's, it, I mean, not that like I'm an expert and have like ever viewed the mechanics of a black hole, you know, up front and, you know, with a clear view or anything. But this is at least more like how I imagine it. So, um, a bit more theoretical, as opposed. Yeah, going to... way back. What what episode was that? Was it? It was the one uh, with like the Satan pit and like, the the Impossible Planet. The Impossible Planet, right? Um, where you're like literally seeing like, you know parts of the planet like as they're spiraling like into the black hole and to me that's just silly like Mm -hmm. that that's just the amount of scale that you would you know have to go through like the way they do it here where i mean you don't see it like in the ship happening but you do see it like with the difference in times um Mm-hmm. between the top and the bottom where they're like observing the doctor and it takes like a week to raise his eyebrow right like right, right. that's the that's it's like that sort of imperceptible mm-hmm. slowness that you would that i would expect from mm-hmm. something like um yeah you know the the other episode there so um, and let me let me jump in with another production note that um i just remembered i can't remember if moffat's uh confirmed this or not but i'm i'm i'd be fairly confident in guessing that um the inspiration for this um there was a uh one of those little specials that they do on like the bbc or bbc america or whatever called um the science of doctor who and it's with one of those you um professor physicist brian cox is one of these sort of pop scientists you know neil degrasse tyson type guys um, and sure. he does a little special on, you know, science kind of science demonstrations to a live audience, like inspired by different things in Doctor Who. And one of the things he does is like based on like time and relativity and black holes and and the effects of and he does like I don't remember exactly what he does, but there's something where he visually has a light in a room and through the experiment, he demonstrates how your perception of time changes, like right in front of your eyes. Um, and seeing this like a little while later, I thought like, I think Moffat watched that, wrote down, all right, basically one end moves slower, one end moves quicker, and then like applied it to 
you know, this episode. Um, not that that's not a well-known, you know, scientific phenomenon, but like doing it in that, you know, little Doctor Who special, I feel like people will have seen that and it's a familiar idea. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so yeah, to all of that to just say that like, yes, I have criticized the like going into a black hole, but because it's like not slow enough, not, mm -hmm. um, I actually, I thought the way they did it here was pretty decent. Mm -hmm. um, and it's yet another permutation of the time distortion tropes, you know, mm -hmm. like as with the, the portals to other worlds that are, you know, rifts between dimensions and, and that carry those fairy tale associations of um, kind of Rip Van, Rip Van Winkle time and all that. It's, sure. it's, it's finding another, um, a, another unique way of presenting that where because of the effects of the gravity, Bill is going through years of her life at one end of the ship while the doctor like takes 10 minutes to explain the physics on the other end. Um, like perhaps, dare I say, Connor in the Kortoth. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, the difference being that we get to kind of see a little bit of both ends here, which I feel like often with that trope, it's not, you usually stick with like one character or a set of characters. Um, the other one would be, um, the other example that comes to mind would be um, Annihilation, right? Like when they go mm -hmm. into like the bubble, there's like, a period of time that doesn't exactly sync up mm -hmm. with the outside, right? Uh, the bubble thing, um, right? Anyway, right? No, and you're right. That is a difference where, rather than, you know, you you fall out of the wardrobe and realize, oh, it's it's only been, you know, two seconds rather than, you know, fifteen years or whatever. Um, doing them both at the same time is kind of funny. So you do get Bill and, you know, Razor watching them imperceptibly move on the TV that just looks like they're looking at a still image because it's going so incredibly slow, um, which is a fun kind of twist on the idea. Speaking of which, I just have to mention that I picked up a really uh, nice box set of soft cover <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia at a book sale this weekend um, in the proper order. Congrats. Um, so, yeah, just... Happened to nice. be sitting here next to my desk. I know no one else can see that other than you, but I just figured since you made the illusion, I had to I had to brag about that because um, my own my own set of Chronicles of Narnia have, have been uh, severely um, understaffed since uh, I don't I mean the ones I had like as a kid were like falling apart and like mm -hmm. one got lost at some point and I've tried to like replace them piecemeal over the years, but it's been a while since I've been able to find yeah. Uh, Anyway, in the way off, order is the way, way off the topic, but since we're talking about time and yeah. portals, and you mentioned you know falling yeah. out of a wardrobe, I had yeah. to bring that up. Yeah, um, yeah, but it is fun to have them watching the other team kind of you know inch their way forward over the course of years yeah. and years. But you're also right, and you're 
like, and but you are getting both sides because it like, yeah. like you get the entire conversation pretty much that the doctor, Missy and Nardal have and the missing member of the blue man group. Um, <laughs> I don't actually, he's, he's out of it by at that point. Right. I forget. I forget exactly. Or like uh, it's during that conversation, I guess that he kind of right. The doctor's kind of explaining to him, don't you? Don't they teach right, you this right. in space school? Like this is physics one hundred and one. Like well, don't you and know like this stuff. Like how did you get that close to a black hole to begin with? Like we don't get into that, I guess. Really, no, no. Um, it's just this is a thing that's happening. We don't know, you know. Uh, I I guess it's technically in medias res in a way. Even though, like, if you ignore, like, the opening teaser in the snow, um, like, the main plot of the story is just sort of happy. It's like, oh, here we are. Which is kind of the fun, like, or to, like, take a step even back further and talk about the show as a whole. Like, that's the TARDIS. Like, mm-hmm. that's what it does. It never mm-hmm. drops you at, like, the beginning or the end of a story. It, like, drops you right smack in the middle of one. Mm-hmm. Um, every time. Um yeah. But before we get into the TARDIS dropping into the middle of the story. Well, and can I say one more thing that I like about the the parallel stories, too, that it's occurring to me is the way it gives dramatic tension to the Doctor's sort of exposition, his info dump. Like, because as he's going through explaining to it, it within a couple lines, because you've, you've cut over to Bill, you know all kind of what he's going to say because you've sort of figured it out. Mm. And the way it just gives this momentum of like, all right, hurry up. <laughs> like, like well, years are passing. Move it along. Stop. Like, and I do like, like, just get it. And, and I like the energy that that gives it. Right. Like, it. Um, what, what is, uh, what is, what does he say? And um, what does Tennant say in uh, uh, Christmas Invasion? I guess it is. Uh, where he like talks about having the gift of gab, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I've always always been able to gab or whatever it is. I, I forget the exact phrasing. Um, like, and we've seen that. We've seen you know the the flip of the sonic screwdriver, which is like they play out. And we've seen like the he he makes a joke and has like the raised eyebrow and like like right. those are all the points that like get focused on or like all the like key sort of tropes of the doctor's expository speech and um like it is funny like i didn't think about this while i was watching it but it is funny to see in in addition to like the character reactions of like you know razor slash the master being like interested in every little thing literally Mm -hmm. every little thing the doctor does even prolonged over weeks and months and years at a time they're sort of like acting as like fans in that point mm-hmm. too of like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the part where the doctor goes in and explains everything and like, you know, let's watch and see, you know, what the explanation is this week. And yeah. Um so it is kind of kind of funny as like a not a mockery, but like a homage, I guess, to like fan response of like right. watching the doctor come in and like explain it all. Um Right, like the pleasure of an exposition scene, just because he does it in right. an entertain, into an entertaining way. But then also that, like, yeah, every every second he wastes with 
a sarcastic joke or a flip right. of the sonic screwdriver is like another year of her life. Exactly. And so you get the like the showing off is taking up excruciating. Like he doesn't realize the time that he's losing by going through all of his like, you know, going through this explanation in the way that he wants to do it. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of a fun little way of doing it. You're right, I, did, I hadn't thought about that aspect of like adding dramatic tension in a way, but then also like serving as sort of a like, yes, the doctor does tend to prattle on, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, element to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, continuing with sort of the setting and the situation, um, we don't learn this till later, but there's also, there's sort of a, at, at least at this end of the ship, um, where, where Bill, I guess, I guess the bottom is what Razor calls it, right? Like there's the top and the bottom and now Bill's at the bottom, mm -hmm. um, which has like, not just like, because it's like the end with the rockets and like, it's the end being sucked into the black hole or whatever. Um, but there's also like class implications there mm. um as is what it seems like because there's like it's like dire living conditions and overpopulation and mm. people are sick and can't afford healthcare you know mm -hmm. and so like um all of these sort of like malthusian kind of you know yeah. things that go along with like overpopulation and you know not enough money to fix the infrastructure or, you know, there's no, there, there doesn't seem to be like any real, so mentioning space school, like they don't seem to have any school. Like mm -hmm. it's just like kids in the streets and like other people in the streets and there's lots of streets with people in them. Um, and so uh, there's this sort of like technological hope i guess in like the idea that like we can uh you know better ourselves through tech like if we just had the right technology we would all be able to like live forever and you know overcome our poverty and inability to feed ourselves and we could um not just stop there but then there's this whole idea of the operation exodus where we could actually leave our conditions and rise above, like literally rise above by going mm -hmm. to upper decks and, you know, improving our situation and possibly even like overthrowing the establishment, um, you know, to, to the betterment of us all. And so mm -hmm. um, you get that, but like at the same time, like with the whole like top bottom dichotomy, you're understanding that there's like this whole, Thing of like all the humans are disappearing from everywhere else and it's mm -hmm. like well obviously like if you're not spread out across the ship then then what's happening well that's you're they're all apparently congregating in one area and with the increased uh rate of time happening um the doctor sort of explains that there's like populations increasing because you know hundreds of years are going by and like people mm -hmm. are having babies and um yeah so uh yeah all that to say that like there is this sort of sense that um there's an unsustainable you know 
even even ignoring the fact that they're getting pulled into a black hole and presumably at some point gravitational forces would like rip them apart um there's an unsustainable sort of economic and environmental uh situation happening in this bottommost part of the ship yeah yeah i don't know that i have anything to add to that that was good <laughs> yeah um, just so just acknowledging that that's kind of all part of what's going on and and that you know the plot device of that being which we can talk about as we go along that you know they're they're they believe that um through this upgrade they'll all sort of be able to uh uh weather out the changes and possibly improve the situation mm -hmm. so with that said the that being the situation and setting into which the tardis appears uh the first one out the door is of course missy or as she calls herself doctor who <laughs> um and uh which you know it's another fun little like nod um and i like how irritated bill keeps getting with her for like yeah another moment of fan identification there right like we've all had the you know people who say like oh well what did doctor who do this week and it's like right. no the doctor the doctor right. is the character right. doctor right. who is the show right right Un unless but then you get the 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 next layer of fan the even deeper layer of fan who will point out that for the first several years of the show the credits list him as doctor who so sure. Well, really, and, maybe, and so this is like the endless debate that will just continue to rage and i love that moffat again in the in the in the checklist of the bucket list of things that we wanted to do before he left mm -hmm. like let's stoke this fire textually within the show like let's just right. get everyone really mad and yelling at each other and let them sort of duke it out a little bit well and you get the like <laughs> i love that like missy's like arguing like no no that's his real name like i'm his oldest friend i know like whatever yeah. and it's like you know she couldn't it, be telling it, the truth <laughs> it, it would it would total totally be a doctor sort of thing because like given how secret his name has been all along and like only like a handful of other people well only like river song right is like mm -hmm. the only other one who presumably knows and he could totally see it being like like when when river whispers into his ear like the name you could totally hear her saying doctor who like <laughs> as as like his actual name um yeah, I. Well, and that he then, he, he even says it later. Um, when I love when he comes out and is trying to like rescue everyone, and he, she's not Doctor Who, I'm Doctor Who, and then Nardles, right. it's not, is it? And yeah, I like it, <laughs> like, right. like know. even if it's not his name, he's sort of like accepting it. Yeah, but point. like that's 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 that actually sounds good. Um, yeah, so. It's just, you know, fun little trolling from the writing there, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and Missy, you know, going about, like, hitting all of the stereotypes and the tropes in slightly the wrong way, you know. 
um, you know, going, emphasizing the, the plot functions of her companions rather than like <laughs> right. their names or personalities or, um, you know, or, or trying to flirt in like really strange, bizarre ways. Right. And even calling back to um, assistant, right? Like, isn't that the old mm-hmm. term right. for companion um, and that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, no, a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I think we hit all the major ones. I don't know that we have to like go through um, the. So this brings up the question and we get it in sort of like a flashback within a flashback, I guess, if we're counting like the entire episode is a flashback from Mm -hmm. the teaser. Um, Then you get this like other secondary flashback to being at the university and a conversation between the doctor and Bill of allowing Missy to go out and sort of have this test of her metal and to see like can she you know can she actually uh be good and do the right thing and function the way the doctor functions um and you get some of the some really good um stuff from the doctor there about his relationship with her i mean there's the there's like the gender thing, which we know now that they're sort of setting up, you know, mm-hmm. stuff to come. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, not that there haven't been allusions to it before as well, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that's a pretty clear one. A, a pretty clear one. And also, I think. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. The first time I remember, at least the doctor sort of admitting that he at one point has not been male. Right. right? At least opening the possibility of it. Yeah. Right. Like, like saying like, uh, yeah, you know, I, I believe she was a man back then. And, and I think so was I <laughs> like, mm-hmm. which implies of course that there may have been times where he was not a man and mm-hmm. um, he doesn't exactly remember what he was um, there. And then also like, sort of sending up the you know idea of like time lords and maybe that like this wasn't always like uh as like modern of a (laughs) of a show as it maybe is now um yeah at the same time as it's like you know the doctor sort of saying you know gender is like a meaningless social construct and we're evolved beyond that he's also you have to be reminded of the fact that like the show doesn't always live up to those sort of progressive ideals, Um, you know, historically. And even now, like it's, it's, it's not like it escapes from all stereotype. Um, So like deflating the kind of, you know, self aggrandized kind of, (laughs) you know, uh, face that it's sort of putting on there. Yeah. Um, uh so yeah uh but yeah i mean there's there's some there's some good stuff there the the thing in particular though um is the friendship right like the uh she was my first friend always so brilliant from the first day at the academy um and 
you know, Bill asks, what's so special about her? And the doctor says she's different. Different how? I don't know. Yes, you do. She's the only person that I've ever met who's even remotely like me. Um, and I think we've talked about this before, how the doctor and the master are maybe more alike than not. Um, and so Bill sort of picks up on that and says, so more than anything, you want her to be good. And that's... Mm -hmm. The right. Im implication, That's the crux of it, yeah. The implication being there that, like, the Doctor also wants himself to be good, right? Like, right. if Missy can be good, then that means he can be good and maybe is good. And, you know, because we've seen times when maybe he's not so good and, or at least ethically and morally questionable. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's the, the crux of, like, this whole test here is really can Missy live up to the test? Literally, mm -hmm. can she not just come out and like sort of mimic what the doctor says and, um, you know, I mean, put her spin on it, but like basically do all, you know, uh, uh, appear to, um, you know, sort of don all the trappings of being the doctor but is there like something that you know that's a deeper and more you know moral part of her person mm -hmm. that can you know indicate that either she's really changed or maybe it's always been there and just needed coaxing out or something along mm -hmm. one or both of those lines that um would then indicate that the doctor himself also has those tendencies and right has the capability to change. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Anything else about sort of Missy, at least with her introduction? I mean, I know, I feel like from there, and then like once the doctor comes out, it's like he sort of resumes the lead again, right? Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. At least until like she goes down and meets herself. Mm -hmm. um yeah no you're right she kind of takes um slightly a backseat like for the exposition section so um yeah it's more that like okay we can we know that she knows like you said how to superficially stand in for the doctor like you know twisted though they may be she's like saying generally the right things you know like you know, we're the awesome heroes here who are here to help you and like asking questions and like, you know, you know that you, she can handle herself in a crisis. So it's more, you know, the real test is the moral one of what happens when we're in a serious kind of pickle, mm -hmm. um, which we certainly get into. And then this is part of the setup for putting her alongside the master, you know, is this, what's the influence of this other earlier incarnation and kind of seeing in part two, like where that'll go. Mm -hmm. So yeah, other than the introduction, I don't think there's too much more in this episode to get into with her. So, um, I mean the other, well, maybe we should, hold off on Bill for a second. The only thing I was going to say is the only, the, the other main part of the flashback being this um, request not to get killed. Right. Well, you know? <laughs> and so 
uh, no pun intended, I just can't think of a better way to say it, it's Bill's death that triggers the flashback, right? Like, I mean, it's, or her, you know, mortal wound, I guess. She right. doesn't actually die. Um, which, which has as, a couple of, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, as someone who does follow the announcements and get spoiled fairly easily, um, that was a shock. Certainly to me. Maybe other people knew or saw that coming, but um, I knew Cybermen were coming. I knew John Sim was going to show up somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, it, that kind of gaping hole through Bill was completely unspoiled. So that was quite an effective sure. twist. And And I wonder if, you know, part of the plan, you know, sort of like, in the like PR meetings where they're deciding like what what can we say publicly and what shouldn't we throw say? you off the scent you know yeah. yeah like if there's a like they'll never see this coming especially if we sort of like dangle these teasers out like mm -hmm. you know um because just because you hear that an actor is coming back especially in a show like this that has like all the time travel and stuff right. that doesn't necessarily mean like is going to they're going to play a major part or that they're like is going to be a huge thing. I mean we'll talk about Cordy in the Angel episode here and like she's in the episode mm -hmm. technically technically <laughs> um and I mean actually but like but barely yeah. but yeah. like but like that doesn't mean that she's like yeah. playing a major role or anything right. um so you can hear stuff like that and like there's it's fun there's lots of speculation about it there's you know um all of these you know things that you know keep the buzz going and the forums alive and yada yada right. yada um right and it does lull you into not wondering about other things right and bill's death comes fairly early in the episode mm-hmm Bill's gaping hole in her chest comes fairly <laughs> early in the episode. So even if you're expecting, like, we, I guess, you know, we didn't know who the new doctor was. I don't know if we knew that um, Pearl was going to be leaving at the end of the season or not. Um, but even if you knew that, like, one, this is an episode before the end. Of mm -hmm. the seat, like we're we've still got another whole episode to go, and even like, like knowing that like Capaldi's like sticking around for like Christmas at this point, like I think we did know that much. Like you might even say like there's still two episodes where we're probably still going to see Bill. All right, well you know sometimes Christmas episodes have their own companion, so maybe not. But like you're not expecting it like early in the first part of a two part season finale mm -hmm. for her to like get mortally wounded. Um, right. And so, not just like, not just like Dalek lasered where like, Oh, she faintly glowed and then fell unconscious. She's it's like, no, they put like a smoking, like, right. you know, um, gaping chest wily coyote size right. like you know cartoon <laughs> hole through her um know? right no absolutely and so um 
And also, I was gonna like even if you even if you know the companion's leaving, like that doesn't necessarily mean she dies. Like we've seen lots of ways that companions have left over the years, and um, so yeah, I can totally see how that would be surprising, um, especially if you're sort of thrown off the scent by these other sort of big revelations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, George shoots Bill. That's not good. Um, not good. Mid- and and in the middle of the doctor's speech, like in the middle of his, right. I'm I'm you know you're you're gonna remember like in ten minutes I'll become the most trusted person like this you know well, traditional talking down off the ledge thing and it's mid sentence that it yeah happens and that's definitely another trope of his is the ability to like talk himself and like his companions out of danger and Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. So yeah. Right. As we're flashing back to conversations of him kind of jokingly saying, well, I can't promise not to get you killed. You're so mortal. And like, it's like, that's a lot harder than it sounds. And you know, it comes off so flippant when you're kind of flipping back and forth between the two scenes. Um, I don't, I don't know that I have much more to say about George other than he explains kind of what's going on with the ship and shoots Bill. Like, those are the two things. Um. Right. They're not quite Missy's two genders, but they are, um, plot functions. Right. And, uh, the sort of little, the small twist that we get is that these creatures that he's so worried about coming to take the human, which is what he threatens her with anyway, uh, come up and say they can save her. Right. Um, now, you know, knowing what we know later, like we can debate about the level to which they actually do save her. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but at least like in the moment it's, Oh no, these are, you know, people who have figured out a way to like extend her life in some way. And so that's what happens as, mm-hmm. and they take her and leave the rest. Yeah. So she, she goes down while well, she gets taken down and sort of has this operation and there's like the, Initial waking up and it's like this doctor, um, like not the doctor, but a like medical doctor sort of over her. And then there's this weird guy whose name we find out later is Razor. Or do we ever actually find out in the episode or is that You just... know, I don't know that anybody ever does say it in the episode. I paid attention and didn't, but maybe it is in there. I'm not I, sure. I saw it in the transcript and so like I knew yeah. it was his name but I didn't I, like I can't say that I like watched specifically for it but like I did try to keep an ear open the second time I was watching to kind of mm-hmm. see if I heard it and I don't remember hearing it but anyway um yeah, yeah so uh they give her like like it looks like an early model of pacemaker basically, right? Like, Mm -hmm. to replace her heart. Um, 
you know, we can question whether someone with that big of a hole that you can like see through in their <laughs> chest would actually live long enough to have an operation like that. But, right. um, you know, uh, that wouldn't be like the craziest thing that happens in Doctor Who. So I'm not like yeah that concerned I, about that's it. That's the least of our As, the least of I mean, our not concerns. even the craziest thing in this episode. So yeah, um, yeah. Well, and again, it's part of the laying in the icon iconography before we get there of the you know big piece the big like pacemaker yeah. you know well it's like you're Luke skywalker getting his hand chopped off and replaced right. with a robot hand yeah right and if you know what's coming or even if you don't you're maybe assembling the little clues as they're laid like oh this is like the big box that they wear or you know like you're kind of you know, finding the little breadcrumbs and picking them up as yeah. they go. Well, and they keep talking about the impending upgrade and, right. you know, stuff like that. Um, right. And, you know, curing pain and, like, yeah, just, like, making everyone better. Um, yeah, which, can we talk about that for a second? The, like, is that the darkest thing that has like one of the darkest things that's been in this show is the um the pain buttons <laughs> sure you know like you this is still a show for seven-year-olds right <laughs> like you know um sometimes I don't know. more than others maybe maybe that registers maybe that doesn't quite fully register but the um the buttons that say pain and kill me I think have to be up there with the uh, some of the darkest things that we've seen. Sure, that's a very um, Heinlein kind of thing. Uh, mm. The the kill me button um, because in in uh, time enough for love, it it opens up with Lazarus Long. Um, being in a rejuvenation clinic, which is basically, I, so this was my talk at TechSmoot, right? It was mm -hmm. like how, um, you know, about long-life individuals, um, particularly right. Lazarus And you talked Long. about and Dr. I've, Who. I've right? talked about him in context of Dr. Who before. So, um, uh, but but the whole, the whole thing is that like in these clinics where you, and they call them like regenerations and stuff even, it's kind of funny. Um, where, where you can be rejuvenated and, and, you know, live hundreds of years and, uh, Lazarus Long lives thousands of years. And, um, but like the, the other thing is that you can always opt out, you know, there's a suicide button, like in the room, if you decide like, yeah, never mind. And mm -hmm. so very, uh, I, I would be surprised if that was an homage to that idea, mm -hmm. but, um, cause I don't think there's a lot of like crossover between like. Heinlein and British sci-fi, but you never know. I don't. Mm -hmm. Stephen Moffat's a a well-read guy, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, but it definitely has that same sort of feel to it. Of like, at least in Time Enough for Love, it's like the idea is that the rejuvenation clinics are are voluntary, except for Lazarus Long waking up. It wasn't. He actually did want to die, and they sort of forcibly rejuvenate him. But anyway, which is. That's the creepy thing here, too, is right. they have these pain buttons, they're just ignored. And, sure. you know, um, or Bill, even, like, 
sweet little Bill turns the volume down. So they're still shouting. You just can't hear them. Right. Um, you know, so like there's nothing that's actually up until the ending when, you know, we have a new thing for the pain. Um, there's nothing that can be done to, you know, help their, you know, their suffering other than to mute them. So, so at well, least you don't have to listen to it. And, and you get the, um, the one saying, uh, what is it? Die, die me, die me, die me. Like, right. you know, repeating over and over. Um, right. Which I assume is like proto Cyberman for kill me, kill me, kill me. Like, sure. Um, anyway. Proto Cyberman. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not entirely sure where I was other than just that's the, yeah, Bill's getting like, like she gets like the pre upgrade, like right the the, um, you know, like the 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 new modularized part, and uh, or pacemaker or whatever. Um, and it 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 uh keeps her alive. Um, and she meets Razor, who mm -hmm. is this like weird guy who offers her tea, good tea or bad tea. Um, what's the difference? I call one good and one bad. Um, <laughs> uh, what horror? Mainly the tea. The, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's, he, he, there's like a lot of exposition stuff, which I feel like we've already covered most of it that he gives. Yeah. Um, between like, the time differences and like being at one end of the ship and, and the other, the whole, like, you know, this used to be a good place, but now it's not. And everything's old and dying. And, you know, we're choking on engine fumes and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, also this idea that like, there's only a small subset of the people who can actually like undergo the treatment here. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, he says, uh, we must evolve to survive, but evolution is not fast enough. The special patients, they are strong. Soon we will all be upgraded like them. So at least initially, it sounds like that there's only some of the, there, there's these, this set, this special set of patients who are sort of getting the early clinical trial, you know, mm -hmm. version of the treatment. Um, and then they're sort of hoping that like everyone else can get it, but Right, which kind of explains why Bill isn't immediately put in full conversion. Like, you know, that kind of narratively it buys some time. Um, mm. That they're still, this is, you know, still in the R&D phase where they're trying it out on, uh, you know, only a few people at a time initially. Um, um, I definitely want to talk for a minute or two more about um, Razor's interactions with Bill and his environment once we know that it's the master. Um, and you kind of alluded to the fact that you notice on rewatch how much more closely he's watching the doctor, you know, like scrutinizing every little, um, every little raised eyebrow and, um, 
his fascination with that and and that uh it takes him a while to figure out who missy is which is kind of interesting um you know like he's sort of intrigued by who's this other person this isn't you know Initially, maybe he thinks it's another companion or, you know, maybe like a like a river or a Captain Jack, like an associate of the doctors. But it eventually something it makes me curious what clues him in eventually to who Missy is. Because um, they can't hear any speech on the TV. You know, it's like. Or it would be like so extended that like right, there's it would no be way you could possibly worthless. make it out. Right. Right. So I don't know. There's not an answer to that question. It just makes me curious as to like, okay, what was it that something clues him in or tips him off eventually? Well, don't like... I realize this is hit or miss because there have been times where like the Doctor didn't recognize other Time Lords and stuff. But like... Don't, in general, can't they, like, tell, like, when sure. someone else is a Time Lord? I mean, maybe sure. it's only, maybe it's only, like, at the convenience of the writers that they can do it, but... Sure. Or uh, maybe it's... Maybe that's difficult when it's very, very slowly on TV, but... But that's true. Like, maybe he just got a sense of her, you know, her Time Lordiness. But that it's the Master, specifically. Like, he figures out eventually that it's him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, I don't, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's a clear, like, what can we, you know, how do, how do they actually, like, you know, figure out that they are each other? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think, like, if there's a moment there, but I didn't, I certainly didn't write anything down, so. Yeah, and I don't know that there is a specific um, moment, really. Um, and I guess the other thing, too, is his relationship to Bill, which I find pretty fascinating. And I definitely want to come back to it in part two, because they get more screen time together. Um mm -hmm. But, like, the kind of sweetness of it, like, before you, before the reveal of who he is, like, before he betrays her and sort of hands her over to the doctors, um, like, the fact that, like, he's kind of nice and he gives her tea and he, you know, gives her a place to stay and hangs out with her and they wait for years and, and years and live this whole life and have this, like... And you realize, um, like, when you watch it again, like, it's all set up. It's all for to make those betrayals as, you know, excruciating as they can possibly be. Um, right. Like, there's no other, there's no other motivation for it other than to mess with her. Um, and there's, yeah. I also wonder, like, why he even bothers with, like, the disguise in a way. Like ah, he says it because oh, does he's he? The former, he's the former prime minister, and he would be recognizable. Right. This is assuming Bill has that. a context for. It's unclear to what extent people remember past 
you know, things in Doctor Who, like... Sure. Like, if Bill's never seen an alien before, then what does she even know about, you know, Harold Saxon, the Prime Minister? Um, so maybe she would recognize his face, but not necessarily have the memory of the erased year or whatever. Um, but anyway, there is a line in there about how you need a disguise when you're the former prime minister. People will recognize you. Stand corrected. I mean, the other question is how much does Bill pay attention to politics? Sure. Which is unclear. Well, she knows about Trump. But I feel like well, one, he was, like, well-known before he was a politician. And two, like, like people you don't have to love, be love to hate him. You don't have you to know. be politically savvy to, yeah. Right. And also, like, like, I feel like he's someone who has brought a lot of, like, like younger people, like, maybe who are just of voting age or recently of voting age to politics like sooner than maybe like previous so like maybe she's like young enough that like knowing about trump and understanding some of this stupid and you know objectionable things that he's done right like what maybe drew her into politics whereas like some previous you know administrator of the government wouldn't have you right know. and if she was like in high school when Harold Saxon was prime minister, you know. Right, like maybe she would have known the name but not recognized the face or something. I, mm -hmm. Whatever, like, I mean, it it still works as an explanation for the disguise because he doesn't necessarily know what Bill knows either, right? Right, right. Um, anyway, all that to say. So the doctor and Missy and Nardal eventually decide to go down. Um, well, I guess, so uh, the one thing we didn't mention was like, Bill keeps having visions of the doctor too, mm -hmm. right? And um, at least one of the, I don't remember how many she actually has, just like two or three at least. Mm -hmm. um, and at least one of those times says, the doctor says to her, wait for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know. Unclear, like, what that vision actually is. Um, is that just her, like, like, it's not the doctor himself, like, sending it, right? Like. No, it is. It, oh, is. it is. When she's, when she's taken in the elevator, he says like right before she's taken away he like says he sends her like uh like he does his vulcan mind meld thing and um, oh okay says he's sending her like a message to wait how, how did i miss that too no. i don't know it happens like really really quickly so um, i think it's easy okay. to just sort of breeze past it but but i just i want to mention that because that's that comes up later when mm -hmm. As a Cyberman, she says, I, I waited for you. Like, mm -hmm. 
and like again years um mm-hmm. and years as as you were saying you know her relationship with razor and stuff like that that takes place during that time um so you get those visions um and eventually yeah it's it's her upgrade right like the the betrayal happens and the betrayal being like the the nurse tells her at one point that if she leaves this hospital the that her device will no longer work and she'll die Mm -hmm. um we don't know if that's true or not um bill seems to believe it at least for some time but maybe uh over the years like starts doubting whether that's actually true and so tries to get uh razor to i keep wanting to call him rocket um that's not right though uh razor you know to take her to the lift so that she can try to go up and get back to the doctor um but that's when the betrayal happens and she's sort of brought to another doctor the medical doctor that she first saw when she woke up um and uh now it's time for her upgrade when the doctor and missy and nardal descend um you get the stuff with missy and the master i don't i mean i don't know how much you want to say about that i know we're kind of over time um yeah i don't think there's i mean we're gonna get plenty more of them in the next episode i don't think we really get a whole lot here um just the it's just sort of the reveal reveal. right Mm -hmm. um and then the the second reveal being um the doctor seeing a cyberman and recognizing it as a mondasian cyberman um and asking it to like oh hey you have you know access to all your like neural network and memory banks and stuff can you like put out an APB for Bill Potts and the doctor's like, well, yes, in fact, I am Bill Bill Potts. Um, Not quite in that way, but obviously. uh, In creepy Cyberman voice. And, uh, and then that's where we get the, you know, I waited for you. Yeah. I, I, the Cyberman who waited. (laughs) Yeah. To do variations on a theme. Yeah. Uh not making fun. It's it's this is a pretty sad, dark twist for Bill, I think. Um Well, definitely it is. And I mean And maybe that's stating the obvious, but I feel like when it's a really sweet character, which I feel like Bill is, like Bill's not I don't think of her as, um, it's not that she's not tough, but like, you know, like you get the, you get the companions who are a bit sparkier or, um, a bit more assertive or whatever. And I feel like when it's one of the, like, kind of just warmer ones, um, you don't expect, I feel like it's a bit more shocking when something like this happens to the character. And this is definitely one of the most gruesome things that's happened in New Who, I think, to one of the companions. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, of the like major companions, the main companions. Mm-hmm. This makes it the second one that uh, this doctor has seen die. Which I don't, that's unprecedented as well. Yeah. All two of his major companions. Well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. Like, because, like, it's yeah. not like main companions, like, there's that many of them. And to have two of them, like, actually die. Not like, not just like, oh, they're trapped in some other dimension and I can't ever see them again right. or right you know. or sent back in time or right yeah and and you know but like presumably still live like full and you know mm-hmm. meaningful lives like mm-hmm. yes it stinks you know the initial separation stinks but there's like with Rose and with Amy and Rory and you know um even with like Martha or whatever and even like Donna like like there's sadness and like in certain cases like death like in in some ways like we can talk about memory and how mm-hmm. much that's a death in our angel episode too but like uh you know something like with Donna where like there's just that complete forgetfulness that mm-hmm. occurs is a kind of death but like it's all like Donna's still alive and living out her days. Right. And like, she still has a know, life. Yeah. All of that. So I like, yeah, there's like this is pretty dark. And like I mean, we'll talk to about, you know, to what extent Bill retains her billness. Um mm-hmm. you know, even as a Cyberman, but like like I don't think we're we're I don't think we're ever going to, you know, have uh, have Bill back in the way that, like, we know Bill. Um, right. And I like, think, yeah, that's the that's the kind of um, difficult part is you've had near misses with Cyberman conversions from the characters. And mm-hmm. um, and you've had situations where. um where even with even with Clara, I would say like there is an actual death, but then there's this sort of life after death in a way, um, you know. And we can talk about in the next episode to what extent Bill gets that as well. But there's, I think, what you get very firmly here is that like yeah, you're not going to see Bill again as she was, like. They literally like destroy her body like that. There's no undoing that. Um, It's not a kind of one of these sci-fi fantasy deaths that can be sort of undone. Um, You know. At least not on a on a physical level. Mm -hmm. Like they're not going to. It's the opposite of. What I was complaining about in. uh, knock knock where they where the bugs eat all the people and then they just sort of uneat them <laughs> they just, just regurgitate regurgitate just like oh they're just there and whole like 
you know, clearly this isn't the end of the character. We have more with Bill, but not with Bill as she was. Um, this is like a permanent uh, change that's happened. Yeah, which again, you know, show for seven-year-olds. <laughs> Some of the time. Uh, um, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask if there was anything else before we uh, lean into our, you know, our cliffhanger and... Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, so the we had the first ball drop which is that uh uh the master or that the razor is the master and um yeah then the second one is that the cyberman is built so let's uh yeah let's uh move on um and if you don't mind i'll just go right into my production notes here go for it so this is uh so home, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Angel. So this is the season finale for season four, uh, written and directed by Tim Minear, mm -hmm. um, which so I've mentioned before how um, you get uh, typically with the end of seasons, you get like in Buffy, the showrunner, um, which is mostly Joss being the one and then in um angel the the final se uh, episode of the season uh tends to be also the showrunner which for the first three seasons was david greenwald um in season four the showrunner is jeffrey bell but here we have tim minear um so this is sort of the odd mm -hmm. odd one out um because in season five we'll get the season finale and series finale will be written by Jeffrey Bell and Joss Whedon together. Mm -hmm. um, so this is really, yeah, kind of the, the one sort of exception to that rule. Yeah. Um, which if you're going to make an exception, like Tim Minear is a good exception to make. Right. And like, he's been there since the beginning pretty much and, and is very experienced. So he's a, he's a yes. safe pair of hands. Although I will note, this is his only episode of season four. Oh, interesting. Be because of Firefly. Right. His last right. episode was actually um, the penultimate episode of season three, um, Benediction. Right. So, uh, but, but Firefly's over now and people are unemployed. Firefly is over. <laughs> people are, are unemployed. People have to eat. <laughs> and, and, um, and I'll point out that, uh, Tim Minear does not write any episodes in the next season either. So this is his last oh, episode okay. of Angel as well. Huh. Um, so yeah, definitely, again, so just sort of pointing all that out. Um, and speaking of unemployed Firefly people, yes. we get Jonathan M. Woodward, who um, actually, though, also appeared in Buffy. <laughs> That's right. In, um, he was one of the vampires. Wait, I can't uh, remember yes. the name of the episode. He played Holden in Conversations with Dead People. Yes. Um, and then he played Tracy in The Message uh, in Firefly. Right. Um, and here he played... Not so this is one of the very few people who have been in three Whedon shows. Mm -hmm. um, the other one being 
Lawrence from the uh, premiere episode of Firefly, who right. uh, uh, also appeared in both Angel and Buffy. Um, <laughs> where did I get to say the same Lawrence? <laughs> That's like one of my favorite lines of like the entire series. Um, anyway. <laughs> So yeah, so Jonathan Woodward plays Knox. He's a science geek. Um, He and Fred get along, um, Mm -hmm. which we can talk about later. But wanted to at least acknowledge that um, we we get. See, I did say there would be more Firefly actors. I did not say who. Um, And there and his his villainy is unclear at this point. Yeah, we don't we don't know to what extent. You know, I mean. Let's talk about that as the big change. Uh, so actually, the the one other sort of like high-level production note before we get into sort of the changes that are being signified with this episode is um, shortly, well, in the, in the sort of run-up to the season finale here, um, David Fury, uh, Joss Whedon was sort of courting David Fury to like return to the show. I, so... If you remember, he um, actually appeared in, in another Tim Minear directed episode um, as an actor. He was just like some sort of weird acolyte. Um, and then he wrote a couple episodes like here and there each season. In in season four, he wrote more than a few. He wrote like four. Um, and so, um, but like these were all as basically like freelance, like writer things um at this point they, uh uh joss whedon actually is asking him to come and be the co-executive producer with jeffrey bell um for season five which shortly after this episode aired they announced that that's in fact what did happen so um even though i just said like jeffrey bell co-writes the final episode of season five with joss mm-hmm. um that's actually i believe the only <laughs> uh episode in season five no i'm sorry he does write one other episode in season five but like um david fury comes in to sort of co-executive produce and then actually gets promoted to sole executive producer like halfway through the season so it's kind of a really weird uh season five turns out to be kind of a really weird like as far as that behind the scenes stuff goes i mean we can talk about whether or not that has effect on the season when we get to it. I know I'm like totally jumping over this episode to like talk about this, some of that stuff. But um, since we sort of discussed things that people knew uh, with the Doctor Who episode at the time, that was right. like, like this was one of those things that was sort of in the news, you know, just before and shortly after the episode aired, um, which I think has some implications for like all of the changes going on. Um and one of the things being that this episode was very much a way to show that, yes, okay, Angel has sort of kind of, you know, lived on a different uh, network from Buffy for a little while now and mm-hmm. um, has sort of, you know, carved out its own thing. But there's still some crossover. There's still, like, there's still, like, that tether I think a lot of what we're seeing here with this episode, and I mean, there's notes and quotes to back this up, is is that they're really trying to show, like, we can shake things up um, and we can 
you know, really do something different with this show than really has ever been done before. Mm-hmm. And so um, in, in the commentary of the episode, um, Tim, Mine- so in the, in the scene where Angel comes and, you know, finally says like, I took the deal. Um, Tim Minear is like sort of saying over that he's like, yeah. So when they're talking about how you know they should take this deal, what we're really saying to the network is you should take this deal, <laughs> and like um, saying like you know this is going to be a sh- cool show. It's really different um, before, and he goes on to say that like you know even though they were all like proud of what they had done, that they felt like the show at this point was getting too soapy, um, meaning like you can't really miss an episode. Like you have to know the entire backstory and like that this was sort of a way to shake it up and like ideally make it a little more user-friendly, like start over. You're starting with a new story. You can bring new people in. You can, um, you know, like maybe change the format up a little bit so that like, not, not that it'll be like the first season, but like in the first season, you didn't have to know like all the backstory. It was very procedural and more episodic. And so Mm -hmm. this sort of gives you an opportunity to start over and have something completely new. Um, On top of that, Tim Minear says that he thinks that what they find, what they're trying to do with this is really do what they tried to do in the beginning, which was to find a metaphor for young adulthood. Um, I think we talked about how Buffy was that metaphor for high school, but mm-hmm. um, Angel was supposed to be more for that metaphor for adulthood. And Tim Minear says he doesn't think that they ever really found that in like the first four seasons. Um, and he's like, it's kind of hard when you have the main character, it, you know, is like 240 years old. And sure. like, you know, you're trying to do a metaphor for young adulthood. But he said that with this shakeup now where you have like, you know, the the whole show up till now, he he, he likens it to like, you know, people working for Greenpeace, that they're sort of these radical outsiders trying to make a difference. Um, And now they've been offered this like job with an oil company. Right. And so like um, with the, with the idea that like, if they take the job, they could change things and, you know, change the way that's, you know, happening, you know, the way they do things. And so, you know, if you, if you start working for the man, can you, you know, keep your morals and keep your ethics and, um, he said that that's really the metaphor for young adulthood that they had been fumbling around for. He felt like that's really what they were able to find in making this change was like, mm-hmm. you know, even without getting into like what season five, because when he did the commentary, they, act, it, it was um, like, they must've gotten like better at like how long after the season aired when they did the commentaries. Cause this was like, the commentary was like before season five even aired. So like, he didn't even necessarily know at that point. Right. Um, and then um, the one thing that um, I'll say from David Fury, uh, who was um, in an interview from around that time says uh, that they weren't necessarily trying to completely rework the show. Um, but it was definitely, you know, sort of agreeing with what Tim Minear said, that it definitely was, you know, trying to sell the network on the show and um, to really enliven it and, and break out, um, you know, into a change that isn't drastic, but would set set them up as a different dynamic. He also talks about 
the possibility of characters coming over from Buffy. Now, again, this is an interview from around the time before season five happens. I won't tell you. So I'll give you the list of names that he says from Buffy that might be coming to Angel. I won't tell you whether or which of those characters may or may not come over or actors or whatever. Um, but I'll just give you the list. So he mentioned Sarah Michelle Gellar, Allison Hannigan, uh, Mercedes McNabb, who played Harmony. Um, and uh, uh, was there another one? No, those three. So if or whether any of those do end up coming over to Angel, I won't say. Um, but those are at least at the time uh, was sort of the idea that they're setting this up to have a bigger cast and bring in more people as well, um, which, you know, maybe they could have done still in a hotel, but also now you have sort of a bigger mm -hmm. staff and like different roles for people to sort of fit into and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I'll neither confirm nor deny whether any of those people appear. So you mean now. coming over um, like as part of the main cast, not just for like one episode or something. That's that's the way he sort of presents it. So he says, um, we talked about adding a lot of people. Some people from Buffy might be coming over. Um, so, you know, and then he mentions on, you know, for those people. So and and again, like we've seen Allison Hannigan in Angel. We've seen Mercedes McNabb in Angel before. So like those were like one off little like right. crossover type things. But you know, it's not unprecedented that, you know, these people could fit in or whatever. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and of course there's another crossover that we can talk about in the plot of this episode, um, or sort of like a foreshadowing even, um, that we can bring up as we talk through it. So I know I kind of rambled on a little bit there, but, um, kind of a lot and kind of just explaining that, um, and we don't have to talk about this right now, but also like, there are some people who do actually equate this with Restless, um, which is, I know, your favorite Buffy episode. I would be surprised if this is your favorite Angel episode. Um, but I it do doesn't, think... It doesn't have the surreal charm of... Yeah. But, but I can see... Yeah. I can see the comparison of feeling like instead of ending with the epic battle you get that done out of the way and then you have this to be a little bit more like reflective and yeah. more like about the characters um and i guess like i mean restless kind of went more for like let's summarize their sort of journey so far symbolically through like sure. dream and like foreshadow where they might be headed um whereas this is more practical i guess like it, it's what you're describing of it's a soft reboot mm -hmm. um it's like all right like four years in it's time to switch things up deliberately and yeah. experiment with something new like in in those shows where like other shows had done this type of thing where it's like suddenly like at the end of an episode it's like three years later and then like right. you know the next season <laughs> like right. they like you you explore what it's like three years later or right whatever. well like bsg sort of ends sure ends a season that way um and yeah i mean i hadn't with fatly with fatly um yeah uh we we won't um, get like fat fred or anything. Fatly. like um 
I hadn't made that comparison when I was watching it, but it's similar in that, I mean, that kind of jumps ahead and then you have to catch up to things. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, it's like, not exactly the same, but it's that Right, idea like here, of, I, 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 it seems like here we're going to see more of the evolution of them being there. I mean, who knows? Maybe in the first episode of the next season, it's three years later. I don't know. But, um, but it's the same sort of thing of take characters you've been, you've seen in one type of situation for a really long time, several seasons, and just put them in a new place and then see like, oh, he's over there doing that. And where's she? And like, how do the pieces fit together? And um, yeah, it, yeah, it is kind of a similar premise. So all of that. So said, is the hotel gone? Um, in terms of the storylines, like, are we I, moved out? You don't I, have to tell me if you don't want to tell me. I'm trying to remember, actually. Like, I don't, I don't believe that the hotel plays a significant role here on out. But I like because when you if, were if, if if it's if if you're asking like, will we ever see the interior of the hotel again? Like, but the, that's not like the setting anymore. I, that's not like the. Main... I don't remember the the main. I mean, it, I don't think it's spoilery to say because, like, we know they take the deal. Yes, yeah. the main setting, like, we're going to see, like, the science lab and, you know, right. Angel's new office and Wesley's new library and, like, that type of right. Like, those are going to be the primary right. settings going forward. Because yeah. the reason I asked was when you were describing this as, like, the sales pitch for the network to mm -hmm. say, like, let's show you this shiny new thing and please renew us so that we can do it right. for you. Um, that's very much like, that reminds me of when they arrive and it's that scene in the lobby where it's very big and tall and new and there's people everywhere and, and the camera's sort of craning around showing you like, look how impressive this all is. And that does feel like both for the characters, but also kind of, again, for the network or for the audience to say like, look at this thing we've built, mm -hmm. this beautiful new set. Like, don't you want to see them like hang out here and do some new things and kind of using that as a way to sell people on the idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that's all true. And um, I think you'll find too. So like a lot of the Wolfram and Hart stuff, um, is sort of slapped together here. Like, I mean, you know, sort of. I That's not a disparagement on, like, the crew and, like, anything. But, like, it was, like, hey, we're going to take the things that we have and try to make a convincing Wolfram and Hart set. I think what you'll find is that, you know, for the next season and the next season budget, you know, things may look a little bit different than, like, the Wolfram and Hart that we get here. And, like, mm -hmm. you know, Angel's office might look a little more refined or a little, you know, have a different design or something. like. Right, you're not you know, doing it with whatever's left over from the year's exactly. budget. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's stuff like that. But, yeah, like, I mean, um, and, like, Tim Minear walks through, like, a lot of that, actually, in his commentary. Um which is probably actually safe for you to listen to because 
he they haven't done season five when he records it yet. So like right. they you're not right. getting like spoiler alert. I mean right. you're getting like some plans for like what they might do and like that right. type. But of it's thing. all speculative. But it yeah. it's a lot of it is more like oh this was shot on the lot and this is actually like Wesley's apartment and we just dressed it up differently <laughs> you know mm. because we didn't have like you know a, a big Wolferman heart set you know, created to, you know, do this kind of thing. Um, yeah. It's actually not um, any of the offices, but it, uh, the interior of, you know, Connor's new home at the end is actually Wesley's old apartment. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, okay. That they just, you know, had to like redress or whatever. So, um, yeah, anyway, so like, so there's definitely some, yeah, the budgetary and, and sort of set design considerations that, like, yeah, you can't, like, create an entire Wolferman Hart, uh, you know, thing. And, like, you know, the White Room is just, like, a soundstage with CGI to make it look like it goes on forever kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, those types of things. Uh, yeah. Anyway. We could probably talk about the plot and characters um a little it's bit probably important if you if you if you want to go that way want. i'd totally up to you um yeah no we can go and and move from the kind of meta level down to like what actually happened in this episode yeah um and actually i mean i i don't think any of it is like i think we can kind of go through them character by character and I, they're fairly straightforward but yeah um i i do have so I mean, we've alluded to it, like the proposal that Lila gives him, which is actually never spoken on screen. Um, I mean, right. like they summarize the proposal later, right? Like, wait, you're giving us Wolfram at heart. But like mm-hmm. her actual proposal is not as great. And I, I love that um, coming in right after the opening title sequence where it's like literally like a minute of like them just silence. looking around and like processing and not right. knowing what to say. And it's the funny thing, like Tim Minear makes the joke of, um, I think it's, is it Gunn who speaks first or Fred? I can't remember who. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I think it is Fred. I um, can't remember. I think it's Fred. Doesn't, doesn't speak until, like, he's like, you know, he's talking about the scene and like, oh, you know, so-and-so does really good here and blah, 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 like, given all the different looks. And then he's like, and then my name shows up and now they can talk. <laughs> Yeah, and like like talking about like just because it, it goes the entire like right. post title credits, uh, you know, portion of the of the episode, and he's like right. he's like yeah, I counted it out, and and then there's my name, and now they can talk. Right, like, the longest like, <laughs> pregnant pause, yeah. Um, and funny. then going, but I yeah, I just love that sort of like the awkward looking around, like nobody's really sure what to say at this point, and yeah. Um, yeah, complete complete curveball. Yeah. Um, and, so yeah, and, and the idea that like the reaction to the proposal is stronger than the proposal itself, right? Like sure, the sure. news that she gives them is just like if they if if they if she had just said like yes, we want you to have Wolfram and Hart, the LA branch of Wolfram and Hart, like that would have been kind of boring to just like hear mm-hmm. on screen. But like having this like. Like you talked about the drawing out of the tension with like mm-hmm. the doctor's speech, like this definitely does that same kind mm-hmm. of thing. I feel like of like 
you don't know why they're all speechless and awkward at that moment and it's right. then you know they come out with it wait a minute so right <laughs> right although i think even by the time it cuts for the credits you can infer what she's saying even if she doesn't ever come out and say it like um and i i didn't write down the exact dialogue so now i don't know why that is um mm. maybe it's just there's enough hints in there that um you can kind of guess i don't remember what kind of clued me into that um yeah maybe i mean it's been so long since my initial watch. Like, obviously, this is such a huge... This isn't the type of thing that, like, you forget happens, like, when right. you rewatch. Like, you, you know that this is coming all along. So, right. Right. it's... I couldn't tell you, honestly, what my initial yeah. thoughts were. Um, yeah. But, yeah. It's yeah. Maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe she gives enough uh, hints before, before the title sequence. Yeah. Yeah, and I I don't remember specifically what why I think that, but um just my kind of initial impression from watching it, but um but yeah, so that is the offer to take over the LA branch only. Mm -hmm. Um so it takes a little time to parse through the details of, you know, this because um and the the nervous part is as Lila later reminds Angel that you should always read the fine print is knowing exactly what they're getting themselves in for here. So, yeah. um, so they are seeding the LA branch, um, moving out, kind of raising their white flag and saying, you guys won. Um, and They've rebuilt it from its destruction from the beast and restaffed it and given it all these like multi-million dollar, you know, state-of-the-art resources um, and handing it over. And they're, it, it's both a kind of admission of defeat in the battle between like good and evil between Angel's team and Wolfram and Hart, but it's also kind of an alliance in a way of it's a reward for ending world peace so it's kind of like because you guys did something that in this in some ways is good good for us mm -hmm. we are kind of giving you a little something for that um so on the one hand like jasmine was evil but on the other hand her effect was good and so because the world is now back into chaos and reeling from the loss of her influence, um, Angel and crew are getting sort of patted on the back by the bad guys, um, which makes for a very confusing, that hence the confused, awkward, awkwardly long pause. Um, yeah, and I that hadn't occurred to me what you were saying before about the metaphor of young adulthood, but um, I think everybody who, I mean, maybe this is a universal experience, but I think anybody who's had any sort of, like, ideals in their youth, if they're, you know, political or artistic do, or... Do, do youths have ideals? I don't know. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm just speaking hypothetically. <laughs> For anybody who might have thought, like, in, in any way of the, you know, what they were going to do with their lives. Um, and in some way or other, um, you know, cheerfully or not, resigns themselves to the idea of having to pay bills. <laughs> and, like, you know, get a job. Um that you do struggle with i mean this is clearly a very amplified fantasy metaphor for that but um hopefully we don't feel like we're signing up with an evil law firm when we like go to work every day um but there I mean, is that <laughs> i worked i worked for you know a multinational financial corporation right you know, so maybe some people feel like that. May may have um, described my job as soul sucking at times. Um, right, right. Wolfram and Hart might have literal beings soul that sucking. suck yeah. souls. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that tension of can you can you live up to your ideals from within the belly of the beast or does as angel says the very fact that you're within the belly of the beast mean that it's already eaten you and you've already lost um just by just by going by taking the deal and accepting that you've forfeited something important that you used to stand for um you know but then, at, on the other hand, they're thinking of all the good they can do with it, all the practical, you know, uh, benefits that they can bring to the world. Um, which was sort of what Jasmine, that was kind of Jasmine's argument too, right? Was like, I, you know, I, I eat a few dozen people to give myself sustenance, but ultimately the good that I do far outweighs any of the bad things. Um, I guess the difference here being Angel and his guys are in control, or at least they think they are. Um, you know, to go along with Jasmine would have been to kind of submit to a dictator, even if she was benevolent in a way. It still would have been a type of slavery. Whereas here what they're told is that they're given control of the firm. You know, they're, they've become sort of managing partners of this particular branch to direct. So they're not, at least in, in conception, they're not so much working for the man as taking over the, you know, building that the man used to occupy. Um, but this is, <laughs> we don't know is the thing. This is what and makes it unknown is, is, What's in the fine print? You know, where where are the strings here? How are the senior partners going to influence this in some way? Because you know that there's a long game of some kind here. Um, yeah. Well, so, and a couple things. Like, one, it's just the LA branch. So right. it's not like, like, now, we don't actually know how many branches Wolfram and Hart has. We know they have them in multiple dimensions. So, like, I mean, presumably they are also in other cities, like, around the world. Um, and we don't know what that sort of higher, like, how much, how much does taking over, like, one branch of a, 
is this like a franchise opportunity where it's like, you know, you can choose whether or not to participate in the, you know, uh, different marketing promotions that like the head office, you know, does, or is this like, you know, more like, well, you still kind of have to do what the corporate overlords say, Mm -hmm. but maybe you have a little wiggle room on a certain thing. It's like, so it's, it's really hard to like, right. We don't know at at this point what, what that means. Um, Cause at the end of the day to jump ahead slightly, Angel takes the deal rather impulsively for kind of external reasons um, to get something done that he wants. Um, As much as they're all leaning towards it and kind of nobody really wants to admit how much they're tempted to take the deal, they don't sit and rationalize. Except Gunn. Yes, Gunn is very firm about that. He's very clear. the rest of them, well, Lauren's pretty on board too. Um, Wesley true. and Wesley and Fred are a bit more. They're very tempted, but there's some caution of all right. We have to think about it. You know, we maybe should, or like they're not going to be the first one to say it. Like, like oh, you think this too? Like oh, all right, maybe we should think about it. But um, Angel's decision isn't based on is this a great deal or not? Or what does the group think? Um, Angel's decision is based on, you know, his responsibility for Connor. Um, And it's a means to an end. So they have not read the fine print and they don't know what control the senior partners maintains, even after they've nominally sort of moved out. Um, well, and I mean, we don't know for sure, but Gunn meets the new senior partner who's, or the new, I guess, conduit to the senior partners, mm-hmm. right? Because that the little girl who was killed by the beast, right, uh, was the former conduit, and now there's this panther. Well, so it's actually a leopard, apparently. Um, this is what Tim Minear says in the commentary. Is aren't, that it? Aren't panthers just dark black leopards? Well, I don't know. Um, I, you know more about cats than I do maybe, I but, are. um, he said, he said that it actually does have spots, but like the lighting and camera work make it look like a black panther, but that it, it actually, I don't know. So that's what he says in the commentary. I totally thought it was a Black Panther too, and maybe there's not a meaning. Like maybe they're the same species or whatever, and that's fine. I just, mm-hmm. uh, I'm pointing out that that's what he Wikipedia as the, says that that that's what he as the writer and director said. Um, had to had to fact check this. Black Panthers in Asia and Africa are leopards, while those in America are jaguars. That's the difference. Okay. So you can see their spots sometimes, depending on the lighting. And fair enough. Again, all I'm all I'm saying is that that's what he said. <laughs> um, well, but so beyond the fact that it looks dark and like a Black Panther to me, um, 
I actually the, really like that it's I mean it totally looks like a Black Panther to me and I like that in the all white room. Like I think that's yes. a better contrast than like if you had sort of the more traditional leopard with like yellow or, you know, brownish, right. you know, with black spots. Like Well, and I don't know where to go with it because we don't get a lot and maybe we'll get more next season, but the racial overtones to that of having it begun who goes up to meet the new conduit to the senior partners of, you know, we have this movie called Black Panther, which was just out in the world, um, which, you know, there's the comic book reference there, but, you know, before that there was the kind of political, you know, social context of that, you know, um, and kind of, power for people of color so um it's interesting to me that the you know that the senior partners are represented by a black panther and that it makes contact with gun first um again i don't know quite what to do with that yet i guess we'll see um and that he is the one who's most sort of gung-ho and convinced and comes down um looking changed like you know almost making me think for a second when he gets off the elevator like is he like possessed by something or something because he's like he's very focused and knows exactly what he wants and even if they don't go with him he's in so mm -hmm. something happens between him and this animal that we don't quite understand yet um so it's an interesting, for the one who he's saying he doesn't understand what his place is. And he doesn't even think like, he doesn't think of himself as one of the more important players in this. Um, for him to be the one making the contact with the kind of higher power element of this is sort of interesting. Um, well, we kind of jumped ahead to gun a little bit, which is fine. We can go out of order because they all get uh, another way of this reminds me of BSG is I almost want to say they get kind of bizarro doppelgangers. Like each of them gets a little Wolfman heart, like cracked mirror version of themselves to go show them, you know, their, their, their new domain that they're yeah. to rule and, um, and they're all like division heads right like right. now like like right. it's not just that like right it's not that you have jobs here but it's like gun is seems to be in charge of the security um or that's what's well, implied by walking past that well no actually i i would say that he's explicitly not like oh. they they say they say no we have bigger Oh, I missed then, that line. Okay. And then go. The, that's and then they, they go, go upstairs. Up the senior interesting. That's, that's even more interesting. Because that's what he thinks. He he's right. like, oh, okay. You know, Fred gets the science, and Lauren's the entertainment guy, and you know, Angel's obviously like the CEO or whatever. You know, what do I do? Oh, I'm the fighter. I do security. Like, and there's is it's almost that like he's sort of like. 
well, that's obvious and like sort of resigned to it momentarily. But then mm-hmm. his Lacey, his guide, um, says, uh, no, we have much grander plans for you, Mr. Gunn. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, I, I totally missed that, but that makes I think that only reinforces the fact that, yeah, his role is particularly interesting, yeah, and and he's the only one who we don't really know what that is at the right. end. So that's why I sort of want to make sure that that's clear. Like, yes, it's, it's, expli- it's explicitly not security. Okay. But we don't know what it is yeah. versus everyone else. We kind of know where they fall. Right. Yeah. So I guess let's go kind of go through them one at a time. Um, uh, starting with Wesley who gets um, another British gentlemanly former ex-watcher um you know who something even, about libraries who even has um you know the kind of the fact that he's a bit older gives him you know you you think back to Wesley's troubled relationship with his father and the kind of patriarchal you know watcher past that he um hails from like this guy is in that tradition um, and shows Wesley some cool stuff. Like if you, Wesley kind of scoffs at how small the, you know, rare book collection is. But if you, if you call up any book, it'll appear, you know, there's right. these sort of um, almost right, chamber sort of-, of secrets diary kind of thing. Of sure. These words just sort of magically sort of appear to you. Um, I was going to call it like an ebook portal, but yeah, that's probably, you're, you're probably closer to like the mechanism. <laughs> well, but it's sort of a magical ebook. Um, right. yeah, it's uh, yeah. He's handing him Wikipedia for rare magical texts and prophecies, um, which are useful because Wesley's always trying to figure out what the prophecies are mm-hmm. going to say about angel and the final you know, battles and everything. Um, so, you know, he's sort of interested in that, but he also punches the guy out and, and like, you know, um, uses a, like, <laughs> like, has a grappling up. hook. Yeah. <laughs> Does like Batman's his way up to the top of like through the stacks. Um, you know, so this is not Wesley like Wesley's still surrounded by the trappings of his past of watchers and research and books and all that. But he now has this like rebellious action hero thing where it's like, he just kind of rejects that past and then like blasts his way out of it. Um, He's still a rogue demon hunter at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and we might as well finish with him, makes his way to the more secret archive um, and finds Lila's contract to burn it, um, which has absolutely no effect whatsoever. Um, but she appreciates the sentiment. So, yeah. Which again, be careful what these guys are signing up for because, you know, these contracts, these deals with the devil, you know, they last for a really long time. 
and like do they you know okay they haven't physically signed anything in blood yet but like symbolically like what are you signing up for um yeah yeah um anything else about wesley and lila i mean i think we get like further confirmation that there is genuine feeling between them um which i think we've had before but mm -hmm. uh continues to sort of reinforce that i think yeah no i mean and even like gun's sort of acknowledgement of that um when they're just the two of them talking in the office right like he's like oh i shouldn't have said said that like that mm -hmm. kind of like acknowledges that like um there's there's something there between them um uh, between wesley and lila mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah i think that just reinforces that i don't have any more to say than that yeah yeah um Okay, Fred gets another geeky, kind of slightly awkward scientist uh, to sh show her around, her, you know, her new fancy lab equipment mm -hmm. um, as head of the science division. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know that there's a ton of, you know, detail to sort of delve into there other than you see the you know her mouth water at the idea of what she can do with these resources um yeah i mean i don't know that i have any more like analysis of that yeah i mean i don't think i think hers is pretty straightforward um mm -hmm. Yeah, the MacGyver of Wolfram and Hart um, mm. is what she calls him. Um, and mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, I can do anything with this multi-million dollar fully equipped laboratory. Right, like, <laughs> it's not just that they're, these guys are geniuses. It's like, there's a lot of money here. And, well, you, can, you know, and like, you don't have to be a genius to use all this money. Like, the yeah, the contrast with MacGyver who, like, you know... We'll make an explosive right. out of the Q-tip and yeah, yeah some yeah, whatever. Um, well, in the days of struggling to pay their rent and you know make ends meet in the hotel are sort of over with this. Yep. Um, which is the attractive thing about getting a job um, is you don't have to do that anymore. You can actually right comfortably pay your bills and have something left over um yeah uh yeah exactly and it, right especially like a nice corporate job where you get it's not just like pay but also the benefits right like the perks right. Um, right. the health insurance and the 401k or whatever mm -hmm. yep. um okay we talked about gun lauren i think is also straightforward we don't even really see the tour um yeah. but you know he is one of the more um, eager ones to check out. You know, yeah. like he's the one that's actually yeah. in the, in the limo. Um, I think we've seen all along that like 
Like, even in Caritas, like, he put people on their pads. It didn't always have to be good pads. Like, mm-hmm. he was always sort of, like, willing to right. be the more um, ambiguous or, like, the, he, he's sort of, like, the true neutral in a, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways of, you know, he just, he's there to help people, whether it's help them do good or, or do less good, maybe. And maybe, like, maybe, like, he would prefer to do good over evil, but, like, he doesn't necessarily shy away from the evil. Well, if it's like interesting or you know whatever yeah. to him um, yeah if there are celebrities who he might like want to all of the yeah. celebrities i've ever wanted to meet are you know clients are, of wolfram and Hart. Pure like, evil, yeah like yeah he's not gonna like look too closely at you know yeah. maybe the things they did yeah um yeah and i love the i love that he's already in the limo when they get there um, right like not just in the limo but has a drink and like the music's you know yeah blasting already like yeah um he's ready to go check it out and like yeah siegfried is siegfried and roy like comments yeah um yep um i guess that leaves us uh with angel and his uh lila is his sort of tour guide um showing him his big fancy executive office um and kind of tempting him not so much with like the stuff as here are the solutions to your problems like all the moral all the things you think you can't fix now you can because not because you have money or lab equipment but because you have like the power of this organization behind you so um Connor and Cordy are missing. You can find them. Buffy is about to, you know, go through another apocalypse. You can save her. Um, You know, all the people that you fail to save on a daily basis, now you can, you know, go out and, you know, make that happen. So, yeah, it's not so much the, the perks it's it's all this stuff that he kind of the guilt that he struggles with not being able to fix himself all the time um which he tries and tries to resist but ultimately that's exactly what he gives into is there's an immediate crisis with connor and he has to find him and the only way to do it is to take the deal and, you know, use Wolfram and Hart's assistance and then figure out whatever comes next. Cross that bridge when he comes to it. Um, and I don't think he necessarily even thinks it was a great deal. It's just, it was what he had to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So ultimately, after all this hemming and hawing and and their temptations and their wanting to take the deal, like I said before, it comes down to Angel making a choice in a, you know, moment where he had to go one way or the other. And if he walked out, it was going to be too late. So um, 
So that's sort of what this life-changing decision sort of comes down to, ultimately. Yeah. And so, well, we didn't really talk about Connor much. Um, Cause I feel like they're like, we need to like, like the other half of that is him. Right. Like, yeah. And we can start to kind of <laughs> um, so transition into that. He's off being stupid. Before we do that, I do want to mention, so you mentioned Buffy and the apocalypse. Like there's the very specific, like she hands him an envelope. He pulls out this, like medallion or amulet or whatever you want to call it. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw at the end, Lila gives him that again. Like there's a second Mm -hmm. handing off of that after he accepts the deal. Um, So just noticing, just noting that. um, Okay. That particular item was a direction from Joss to include in the episode um, for which reasons Tim Minear says he did not know at the time. He just needed to include it. And mm-hmm. so we don't know why either, but I, I just want to make sure we note it and yeah, uh, you know, it may or may not have some significance. Later. Um, but yes. Yeah, so going back to what you were saying about Angel, um, taking the deal and the reasons he took the deal is, yeah, we definitely need to bring in Connor because um, I don't, I mean, so we sort of get him listlessly walking around LA um, and there's the whole scene with the cop where it sort of looks like maybe he's turned a new leaf a little bit and like starts out maybe helping the cop. Mm -hmm. And then like at the cop mentioning his family and stuff like that sort of sets Connor off and, he starts mm-hmm. basically beating the crap out of him. Maybe presumably even kills him. Like, I don't think we know for sure, but like mm-hmm. we know Connor can kill people and he seemed pretty angry. Like it's not a huge leap that he yeah. might have killed the guy who he initially stops from killing himself. Um that escalates quickly to <laughs> strapping bombs onto yeah. people in a store. Rather um, quickly, yeah. Including Cordy. Um, yeah. Which, you know, on the bright side, verifies the theory that if they find Connor, they'll find Cordy. Um, this is true. Like, like that was a, sol- that was a solid theory uh, to go on. Um, would have been nice if they could have done it sooner, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, they do, pres- they do end up sort of saving her in the end. Um, or Angel does, anyway. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, do you have any, anything about the cop or kind of the store set up? I don't, I don't know that there's much to say about them other than. No, I mean, I think it, it, it does have an, have a quality of, well, that escalated quickly. Like, as often with Connor, his, his emotional mood swings are, um, you get kind of whiplash following this character around, um. Sure. You know, and, uh. Again, it's not that I don't buy a character doing something like this, but I, you know, have we fully understood why we're at this point right now? I'm not quite sure that we ever really uh, get there. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I guess more more plausible and then more important in the end is the kind of suicidal impulse of like, 
his feeling of his life being kind of based on lies and not really worth anything. Um, you know, that makes, like, I see more of a through line of that in the character mm -hmm. than, like, why is he suddenly out, like, killing, like, little children and, like, random people and stuff. I'm not quite sure how we got there. Um, but, you know, it it is, hey, he's nothing if not consistently inconsistent to the end of, sure. you know, of this. Well, uh, yeah. And maybe in our recap episode, we can talk a little bit about some of the reasons why people dislike Connor. And this, you may sure. be like, these may be some points that we can explore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some more with that. Yeah. Um, which, you know, isn't necessarily the actor or even the character's fault that, you know, he was written that way. Sure. Um, right. Because, yeah, like, at some a... point, like, you... Like, the inconsistency has to, like, go back to, I think, in a lot of ways, the yeah. writers. And that maybe there just wasn't a clear yeah. idea. Of yeah, and, and I think and, and I think an actor can do a certain amount to smooth over those inconsistencies. But they, they can only do so much. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I do think that Connor has swung pretty widely from episode to episode, um, yeah. you know, or made these kinds of logical leaps where could you envision him killing characters? Yes. But does that mean that, you know, we fully justified this situation? Not necessarily. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it kind of culminates in a hostage crisis for Angel to come and interrupt. Mm -hmm. um, and... Oh, and, like, one of the things that bugged me the most was him blaming Cordy. Like, saying, like, you said you loved me. Where are you now? Like, she's literally, like, in a coma, dude. Like, what do you want her to do? Like, wake up from the coma and talk. Like, she wasn't even her the whole freaking time. You, like, yeah, you've yeah. never, you've heard, like, I guess he met her briefly in the previous season. Right. But, like, like basically. Like, before she ascended. Like, basically, their relationship was only ever her possessed by Jasmine, is how it seems. So. Yeah. <sighs> well, and so the other thing is, like. Kind of reminds me, I have, this is a, uh, I hesitate to make this comparison, but I just felt like there's continuity between Connor and this, like quote incel thing of like this guy driving his car through you know crowds in Canada because mm. like he doesn't feel he feels rejected by like I feel like that's the sentiment like it doesn't matter that Cordy's in a coma or that she can't do anything sure. or that it wasn't even ever her to begin with or even if it was that like she has a cho like a right to make a choice about how she feels about him or what their relationship is. It's just that like, well, let's strap on the suicide vest because you're not here to make me feel good about myself. It's sort of his conclusion, which, you know, 
maybe we could have used more characterization to make that work for Connor, but it's not like that sort of thing doesn't happen in the real world, clearly. So, um, well, and like, I mean, you've had a season and a half to give Connor characterization. Like, yeah, like that's the sort and of I thing where you, we're, where I don't like, think we're supposed to just hate Connor as an irredeemable character. Like, I think they want him to be one of the good guys. So it's like, give us some reasons to root for him, you know? <laughs> so, and Tim Minear actually says that, like in the in that opening scene, um, with Connor's opening scene, um, he says that, like, at least initially, the idea is that he's supposed to be a sort of, uh, uh, you know, identifiable character and conflicted character and that there's sort of even a parallel to a certain degree with angel of being both you know sort of dissatisfied but also recognizing that maybe he's had a hand in creating his own dissatisfaction Mm -hmm. but then then it escalates quickly you know again and so like i think as much as I like Tim Minear's writing, I think, mm-hmm. and I like, it's always hard to know. Yes, the writers are sort of like, and like, I mean, he directed this episode too. So like, he's definitely the one in charge of the episode, but it's also hard to know, like, like if these are like the plot points, you know, that are sort of hammered out in the writer's room right. and like what Joss says, like, or decides like these things need to happen and Connor needs to go from zero to right. 60 right. and, right. you know, two seconds or or what things made sense to them in the writer's room because they're they know what they're trying to say and they're you know and and it just didn't work for the audience you know like i don't think whatever is trying to be communicated isn't making it across the screen effectively and maybe it's a combination of of the writing the actor, the character conception from the beginning. And nobody, no one, no one of those branches is taking charge of how do we fix this? You know? Well, I, I think a lot of Connor is a lot of the, well, and again, we can get in more of this next week if we need to move on. But like, I feel like a lot of the problem with Connor is that he's only ever been used as a device for someone else, Mm. you know, character development or reaction or whatever like he's just sort of been the plot device of the week and and so he gets pulled in whatever direction is needed to be pulled in for those reasons and i don't think he was ever really treated as a character unto himself Mm -hmm. um in many ways so right uh the other so like going back to like things that he says that are weird or not quite hitting the mark um you know you tried to love me. At least I think you did. Like, this is literally the first time Connor has ever acknowledged that Angel might actually love him, I guess. And then also like, but not enough to hang on, to hang on. You let him take me. You let him get me. You let him get me. And it's like, who, who's the him in that sense? Is it, is it Wesley? Is it Holtz? Hmm. I don't like, I genuinely, I genuinely I, I, don't know. I assumed that it was Holtz, but now that you say it, it could be Wesley. 
I, I, but we don't know is the thing. I think it's not clear. I think I'm like 51% sure that he's talking about Hulk, but I'm not like, right. Yeah. You're not 52% sure. No, no, certainly not 52. Yeah. Um, Right. Yeah, I just I but I I can't say why I sort of lean that way. Like there's no But again, like if like this is the first time he's acknowledging that Angel might actually love him, it's also the first time where he would actually blame Holtz for anything. Right. So if if that's the case, like I don't really right. have When how did we get there? Yeah. 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 Um yeah. And if it is Wesley, then it's like, okay, but like, I don't know. Like, I still like, it's just like, I don't know. It's just not clear. Like, I just don't, maybe there's an answer from the writer's perspective, like you were saying, like, maybe they know who they were talking about in that scene, but that just the fact that like, I can't even pick up on who he's mm-hmm. talking about for sure. And like, why does he care about that? Because like, if it's Holtz, he loved Holtz. And if it's Wesley, then it was like, he gave him to Holtz. So like, why again would like, he blame that as like, I don't know. Why is he harping on that now? Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like that's along those same lines as like, yeah. Like why is he suddenly blaming Corey for not being, for being in a coma? (laughs) Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. The, um sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just gonna kind of wrap up what actually happens with Connor here. Um which is a kind of reverse dawn situation. Um Yeah, well so before we get to that. Oh yeah. So there's a fight. Yeah. Angel is over him with a knife and like swings down at him. The question there becomes, like, does he kill? Does he kill Connor? I, this is not clear to me. This is another thing that wasn't clear to me. I'll give you what Tim Minear says. Okay. Which is, in this moment, the prophecy is fulfilled, that the father will kill the son. Like, that was the whole reason back in season three that Wesley kidnapped Connor. Mm-hmm. Which could be an argument for why he might be talking about Wesley in that point. Like, if if that's supposed to be a callback to all of that. Right, right. Why don't they make that clear? I don't know. And so, Tim Minear says, I think that you understand by the episode, um, when Angel says to Lila, I'm going to tell you what the deal is going to be that he struck some sort of bargain with her and that there's some kind of blood magic going on here. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I don't get that. I don't think that's clear at all. Because I, I thought... <laughs> um, I didn't really understand what he was swinging at. Um, and then... And well, then, I thought it... I, at first I thought it has something to do with the... Like the vests. Like the suicide vests and stuff. And I, I, th- I took Angel's deal as they're going to erase his memory, give him this new life. Right. And well, so then Tim Minear goes on to say, because as we discover, Connor is not in fact dead. 
well, old Connor is dead. New Connor has lived an entire life apart from Angel. Which That's is also kind of weird. Confusing. And confusing. And <laughs> like, I feel like... It's so funny. I like... Why is everything with this character, like, completely unclear? Well, and this is, this is my... Because, like, as I'm listening to this, I'm like... How many times have I seen this? I doubt none Still of that. Don't know. Was, yeah. Like blood magic? No. Like I if anything, like simple memory spell would be right. like the right. route and when you I would say like gone. when you say old Connor's dead, that could mean literally he died and was brought back to life and given a new life, or just like symbolically, like the old him right. passed away and they erased his memory and, and now he gets this new beginning. And that's so if we're ignoring like what the writer or director says, that That's, would be the route my, that I would go. <laughs> that was my initial impression was like, and and not yeah, it's, it's only when watching it again did I start to wonder like, what is up with the knife? Like I don't really understand. Um, yeah, yeah, and and not um, not the first time. not the first time that there's a sort of memory loss episode. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, in, uh, what's, um, I will remember you. Is that mm -hmm. the name of the episode? Uh, where Buffy comes, right. And Angel chooses to like turn back time as though the day never happened. And right. Um, right, and only Angel can remember it in the end. Right. So. Well, and I do, I I know there's a lot of differences between the characters that we've talked about, but there is something similar to Dawn and Connor mm -hmm. of, like, these teenage characters that kind of show up halfway through and sort of disrupt things to one extent or another. Um I'm not saying that there's a similarity in quality of characterization, sure. but just in this scenario. Yeah. Um, and so it is kind of a nice parallel or like anti-echo to end with not just his memory erased, but everybody forgetting him, you know, like apart Except from Angel. Angel. Okay. Yeah. And like, Lila. Like, right. Like, yeah. Some people at Wolfram and Hart maybe know, but like all of the other crew angel's crew um forget him and he goes and and he forgets and goes off and lives this other life and this kind of opposite you know uh dawn effect yeah um, you know it's just a nice sort of echo at the end yeah i don't know that i've ever quite thought of it that way but yeah it is like like if dawn's thing is that she appears and suddenly everyone has like all these new memories that didn't exist before like yeah, this is sort of, yeah, the revert, like the, the, what do you call that when like, you, like in a picture you switch like black to white or something, you know? The, oh, the, yeah. You know, reversal effect of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's going to bug yeah. me that I can't think of the name. Of the <laughs> I don't know. Is, but anyway, so. Um, yeah, well, we can get more into Connor in the recap if we want to. Um we can. Let's talk about let's talk about the other thing that uh was hella confusing in this episode, which is um Yeah. My first note for Cordy is uh WTF. You know? Um and we're gonna save like 
behind the scenes reasons for things for the recap. So maybe just focusing on like what actually happens in this episode and everything, um, kind of how we feel about that. Um, so yes, yeah. yes to saving the behind the scenes thing. One minor thing, yes. Though. Yeah. Um, she did right before this episode have her baby, which okay. she was pregnant with like the okay. entire season. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I mean, obviously she came in for like this one little scene, but that was yeah. like, like they knew that she was probably not going to be there or at least not there for very long. And so yeah. it was part of that. Um, we can get into the bigger discussions around her pregnancy and how it may or may not have affected the yeah. season and the story as a whole. Um, yeah. But, uh, and yeah, that I, definitely, that definitely occurred to me as a possibility of like, we have like a maternity leave situation here of, of an actor who can't do the, you know, be on set to the extent that they normally would be. Um, but, but from a character perspective, but from a character perspective and the way it's done, we're like, I think I would be less confused and irritated if it was like she was just gone for the second half of the episode and then like speculating forward after she has her baby, we bring her back in. Um, whereas like, I think when you realize or when I realized that everything that wasn't, everything since she ascended wasn't really her which means this entire season hasn't been her. Um, and then she comes back. So she's like barely in it for the first few episodes because she's like ascended and gets like two lines per episode, you know, when she's like up in, you know, the heavenly sphere. And then she comes down and is not really Cordy. It's, you know, this other character. And then since then, She's consistently been in it, but just been sleeping the whole, like, like the whole, like, last quarter of the of the season is just shots of her in a coma. Um, and, like, I was waiting and waiting and waiting for, like, when is Cordy going to, like, wake up and get involved? And the fact that, like, we still have her asleep in a coma at the end of the season is, yeah, incredibly frustrating. Um, especially because I know we're not necessarily going to get a lot more with her, if anything. So, to, so this is a character that's been there from day one in Buffy and one of the leads in Buffy and then moved on to become one of the leads in Angel. Um, the idea that her story ends with being duped into ascending to be a higher power where she's promptly possessed and then spends the rest of her time in a coma. WTF. <laughs> I don't, I don't find that an acceptable character arc. <laughs> um, because it's so unresolved. Like, we were talking about, like, in Doctor Who, those companions who have sad endings to their, like, Bill, who gets a hole blown through, or, or Donna, who gets her memory erased, or, you know, Clara, who 
dies sort of like it's not that their endings are happy mm-hmm. but there's even in their sadness there's something resolved um like that you're sort of building towards and that's what frustrates me about if if this is the end of Cordy, which i don't really know for sure um but based on what i've heard this sounds like it's for all intents and purposes the end of her character arc um i fail to see how that lives up to you know the promise of her character um anyway i'm sure you have plenty to say so yeah um I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't want to get into any, like, real spoilery stuff, but, like, she, so Charisma Carpenter, just sort of building off your comment about um, being in Buffy, and being in Angel. To this point, including all of the main characters and main actors in both series, she has appeared in more episodes than any of them. Because mm-hmm. even Sarah Michelle Gellar didn't appear in one episode, right? The beginning of season six, the first mm-hmm. episode. Um. And all of the other characters at one point, like Angel didn't appear mm-hmm. to like what the second or third episode of Buffy and like, so like there's at least like one. And then, you know, there were multiple episodes of Buffy that he didn't appear in, you know, whatever, but like, yeah, that's really frustrating. I agree. And I think very frustrating too, because her character arc is such a, such a change and such a you know seeing her grow and everything even if even if you count like her character only up through the end of season three when we last like really see her you Mm -hmm. know um yeah i totally can understand that um it is in effect we will see charisma carpenter appear in angel i won't as per usual, I won't say in what capacity, whether it's as Cordelia or not. Um, we will see her again before the series is done. I won't say how much, how many episodes, you know, again, in what sort of capacity or anything, but we will see her. But yeah, I, I'm not like, I don't want to like give false hope either because mm-hmm. like there, this is, you know, this is putting her in a box and placing her in the museum, like at the end of Indiana Jones. Like this is their sort of way of dealing without dealing with her. Um, and we can get, I will definitely get into some of the behind the scenes reasons as to why, and some of the things that Charisma Carpenter has said, even since, you know, the show has ended and kind of has mm-hmm. been a little more open about some of the stuff that has happened. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't like, 
again, I don't want to get like too much into into that kind of stuff at this point, but yeah. I also don't want to like I don't we started out talking about coyness and that and like I don't want to be that coy person who like gives sort of like a false answer and says like right, oh right. you know I don't know maybe we'll, we'll see, see her yeah, maybe we won't yeah. we will see her but it won't be much and yeah. and and it won't be it's like her character arc is for most intents and purposes done at this mm. point um, so we can talk about her as like a companion who has left I guess in that mm. same way um, yeah um, and I, I mean, there's not really even that much to say about her character in this episode, as evident by the fact that we're mostly not talking about her character at all. Yeah. Um, so I don't yeah, even know no, what to she, say more than that. She's but. in a coma and, uh, yeah, like you said, she's sort of boxed and put on ice somewhere in the Wolfram and Hart archives and maybe they'll find a cure to wake her up for some reason someday. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, very frustrating. And I know that sometimes things happen behind the scenes. Actors decide to leave or actors get fired or the writing changes and your plans shift. And you don't, that's part of both the thrill and the risk of TV is it's not in control in the way that your novel, you know, like your, your fictional people in your head can do exactly what you want. But when you're working with, not just with live people, but over years and years and years, mm -hmm. the risk that unexpected things happen is that much greater. Um, I get, and I do get that. And pregnancies happen and that makes sense too. But, um, but I think that we could sit down and come up with a dozen better ways to have handled this situation. We don't have to go into all of our versions of what we would have done. Um, but yeah, it's a disappointing ending for that character, I think. Anyway, on that note... Um, Cordy aside, and I guess Connor aside, um, it is an intriguing setup for the next season. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll do one more recap to just go over what the heck this season was about and then, um, try to figure that out. And then we'll come back for, uh, season five after that. Well, no, we'll have to finish Buffy first. And then we'll be back. Sure. Well, all right. Sounds good. See you then. Mm -hmm.